guys have your Bibles, would you open them up to Mark chapter 16? Mark chapter 16, and if you need a Bible this morning, there should be some Bibles on the chairs there in front of you. If you're using one of those, you're going to go to page 1154, 1154. And I haven't said it in a while, but if that Bible that you're using from the chair, if it works for you, makes sense a little more than maybe the one you have at home, or maybe you don't have one at home, please take that Bible as our gift for you. And we would love for you to have a Bible that when you open it up and read, it makes sense, and you don't have to do, uh, you know, a lot of hard work to get around unnecessary language barriers there. So please take that. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, this morning is where we'll be. And, you know, I started out the service, we had some videos that we showed you uh, of team members going to Haiti. And we've got this trip in, to go to Haiti in, in March where part of our goal is to partner with people who are there permanently on the ground living out and proclaiming the gospel among uh, a group of people. And we're going to go and we're going to support them. We're going to encourage them. We're going to learn about more how we can do that. We're going to try, try to send a team to Mexico in the summer. And the same thing, we're going and we're supporting people who are on the ground, living out what they believe, carrying the gospel message to people who need to hear it. You know, and those are examples of what we would say are like international or foreign missions trips. And then there's other types of living on mission, where the, the type where you every day live on mission in your workplace, in your family, uh, among friends, where you live out what you believe and, and where you boldly proclaim the gospel when those opportunities come out. But have you ever wondered why we do that? Why, why, do we, why do we go and we do those things? And, and a lot of times, as we try to do those things, maybe we run into roadblocks, right? We're, we're, we're not sure we're going to do it, or we don't think we can do it. And that's what we're going to kind of dig into this morning with Mark chapter 16. And, and so just in case between now and the end of the sermon you fall asleep, uh, here's where we're going this morning. Don't let a failure to follow Jesus become a dead end on the journey. Don't let a failure to follow Jesus become a dead end on the journey. All right, let's take a look then at Mark chapter 16 and see what we're talking about here. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought aromatic spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week at sunrise, they went to the tomb. They had been asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled back. Then as they went into the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples, even Peter, that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Then they went out and ran from the tomb, for terror and bewilderment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So Mark chapter 16, what, we, what we've got going on, just before Mark chapter 16, the last three weeks, we've spent looking at the death of Christ. And we spent three weeks looking at uh, what, what God accomplished through that and, and how that all took place and why it took place. And then it kind of closed out last week where uh, as the body was taken off the cross, a man named Joseph of Arimathea, he was a member of one of the councils in, in Jerusalem. He went to Pilate and he asked Pilate for the body. Right? And so Pilate gives him the body. He takes the body and he wraps the body in linen and he brings it to this tomb where he lays the, the body. 
He didn't do anything else with it because you might remember that that was the day before the Sabbath. It was the day before Passover. And as the sun was going down and the Sabbath was about to begin, there was no work that could be done. So there was no, no other things that could be done to the body. Which is why if you go back to verse uh, 1 and 2, we then see uh, the very first day of the week, we see these two ladies now going back to the tomb. And so now, think with me here for a moment. The, 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 first, uh, the, the Sabbath in Israel was what day? What day did Jewish people celebrate the Sabbath? Saturday, yeah. Saturday is the Sabbath in the Jewish, uh, the Jewish uh, way of, of practicing their religion. And so now, uh, as long as the Saturday was in, in effect, you could not do any work, which would include anointing the body. So that means Jesus' body was just laying there. Which is why Mark then tells us early on the first day of the week. So if the Sabbath was on Saturday, what's the first day of the week? Sunday, right. Okay, so now Sunday is the day that these ladies are making their way to the tomb. And they're going to go anoint Jesus and discover that he's not there. So this, just throw this in your hopper as, as one of those good trivia moments or why do we do what we do moments, okay? Have you ever wondered why traditionally Christians celebrate and worship on Sundays? It's because this is the day of the week that Jesus rose. And so traditionally tr Christians have held their worship services on Sunday, whereas Jewish uh, people have held it on Saturday. Now that's not a biblical command, by the way. You don't have to worship on Sundays, and you don't get penalized or judged if you worship on Fridays or Saturdays or Thursdays or whenever. Okay? That's, just, that's just why we've done what we've done. Because Sunday was the day Christ rose, and so they call it the Lord's Day. Uh, another, another just interesting tidbit, have you ever wondered as a, as a person living in the United States why we have a two-day weekend, Saturday and Sunday, whereas most of the world, they just have one? It's because we are built on Judeo-Christian religion and values, right? Well, Judeo, Jews, Saturday is their Sabbath, Christian, Sundays. And so early on, they set aside Saturday and Sunday for days of worship, which is why in the United States, we typically have, most jobs have two days off, whereas in a lot of the world, they don't. They have one day, which kind of falls in line with what God did, right? Work six, day, six days, work less seven. So just interesting tidbit there. First day of the week. First day of the week, they're going early morning, and now they're carrying uh, with them uh, these spices and these, these, they're like oils and perfumes, right? Because they're going to go and anoint the body. They're going to go do something that wasn't able to get done before the Sabbath started. Now, when you go to anoint a body as a Jewish person, you're not going because you're going to embalm the body, right? You're not, they didn't embalm bodies as Jewish people. That was an Egyptian practice. They were going to anoint it, and the reason being, it helps the body smell fresher a little longer. Because in the Jewish, uh, uh, in the Israel region, it's very humid, very arid, and so the, the bodies would decay a whole lot quicker. And so when you anointed them with perfumes and, and freshness, it helps the body smell better a little longer. Okay? That's what they were going to do. Now, if they're carrying these oils and they're going to anoint someone's dead, that tells us they have a dead person on their mind. They have death on the mind. They're not going looking for someone who's raised from the dead. They're going expecting to find a body in that tomb. So along the way, as they're, they're walking there, they're having this discussion because apparently they didn't remember or know that there was a soldier placed at the tomb. See, Mark doesn't tell us that. But if you were to read Matthew or Luke, you're, you're going to hear uh, read themselves tell us that the Romans placed a soldier at the tomb. And so as they're walking along the way, these ladies, they're thinking, who's going to roll the stone away from us? For us? It's such a huge stone. Who's going to move it? Right? They didn't know that there was possibly going to be a soldier there. Now, the reality is when they got there, the soldier was 
done scared off already. So they get to this tomb, verse 4, and they look up and they see the stone's already been rolled away. Kind of creepy, if you ask me. I mean, in, 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 in our normal day, if we were walking through a graveyard and we knew that there was a grave that had normally been filled because someone had been buried there, and then now that grave has been dug up, uh, how many of us are going to go climb in that grave and look? No, we're not, right? It's kind of creepy, right? Well, this in this environment, it's a tomb. It's a stone tomb, kind of like a cave, right? And you kind of go in, and there's, that's where they would lay the body, right? Well, this is now open, right? And you clearly, these ladies, Mark told us, were there when they watched Joseph put the body in there and roll the stone. So now, these same ladies show up, and this tomb is open. The stone has been rolled away. I don't know about you. I would probably not think first to walk right in there and see, right? That's probably not going to be my inclination. But but that's what they did, right? So they looked up. They saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Verse 5, so then they went into the tomb, all right? As they go into the tomb. Now, you're expecting to see what in this tomb? A body, right? Okay, so they walk in the tomb, and they don't see a body. Instead, they see this young man clothed in white sitting right next to where the body is supposed to be. What would you do? I'd jump back. I'd, my, my heart would skip a beat. You know, uh, some of you, would you be, you'd go like this, right? Okay, you got me? Okay. That's the way you would re, you react. You're, you're, you're caught off guard. You're scared. That person doesn't belong there. And so they see this young man, and he's clothed in white. Now, Mark just described him as a young man, but if you read Matthew, if you read Luke, he's going to tell you this was an angel. Okay, so now you're face to face with an angel. And this angel, because this is what angel said first, don't be afraid. Do not be alarmed. Because when you came face to face with an angel, you're coming face to face with someone, something that's supernatural. And, and, and mind you, this angel is in the form of a young man, right? It's kind of a nice description. But you read about angels in other places, we're not talking about little chubby babies with wings floating on clouds, right? We're talking about creatures that were scary. Creatures that had multiple eyes, multiple wings, and they were terrifying, right? So when you came face to face with something that was supernatural, something that was not supposed to be there, your first reaction would likely be fear, which is why the angels typically say first, don't be afraid, right? As this one does. Do not be alarmed. And then he tells them what they're looking for. You're here looking for Jesus who was crucified, right? You're looking for a dead man. He has been raised. The way Luke says it is, you're looking for the living among the dead. They came looking for someone who's dead. See, they they had been around. Now, these ladies, these are followers of Jesus. They're disciples. They would have been following around the whole time, right? They're not part of, like, the 12 disciples, but they are part of Jesus' group. They would have heard Jesus teach. They would have been around uh, at least one or two of those times where Jesus talked about his need to die, and then that after he died, he would be raised. But they hadn't clicked yet. I mean, they, they probably believed in a future resurrection, but they hadn't clicked yet that Jesus, after he died, was going to be raised. Because we're talking just a few days now after Jesus has died. Right? You're still processing. You're still grieving. Right? You're not thinking that, oh, remember, he said he was going to raise. Let's wait for that. They, nobody was thinking that. They came looking for someone who was dead. So the angel says, that's who you're looking for? You're looking for Jesus who was crucified? Well, he's been raised. He's not here. Look, there's the place where they laid him. And then the angel gives them some instruction. Why do we go and do what we do? Why do we go out and and, and proclaim the gospel and live it out? It's because this is what we've been told to do. He says to these ladies now, but go, tell his disciples, even Peter, that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. 
stand there just as he told you. Okay, before I talk about the disciples, let me just bring something up here for a moment. Have you noticed who the angel's talking to? Ladies, right? Now, we've, we've not really talked a whole lot about this, but if you read through the Gospels, and you read about Jesus and particularly Mark, you're going to start to notice how much women are elevated. You're going to start to notice how important they are. But Jesus does not just discount women. That he doesn't just entrust all of his stuff, all of his, his important messages to men. Women are valued. In fact, Jesus and the Christian faith have raised the value of women above any other religion that was in that time. And one of the things that's going on here is one of the most important messages. The very first people to carry it are women. If you were to go back through Mark and you look at the time when Jesus was being crucified, who was at his cross? Women. The women. And where were the men? You see, you might remember that uh, the night that Jesus was eating at that dinner with his disciples, he looked around the table and he said to them, there's one of you here who's going to betray me. And every one of them to a man all said, not me. Surely it's not me, Jesus. And then later on when, when Peter got Jesus by himself, Remember, Peter took Jesus aside and he says, Hey, Peter, uh, Jesus, even if all these other guys, even if they deny you, I'm not. I'll follow you to death. Right? And in that moment, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, by the end of, by the, end of the day, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And so, as they went to that garden, remember what happened? Jesus was going to this garden. He was going to pray. He was trying to prepare himself. And he takes three of his disciples further into the garden with him, Peter, James, and John. And what does he tell them? He says, stay awake. And he's not just meaning physically awake, but he means to stay spiritually alert. And he comes back several times and tells them, you need to be praying so that you don't fall into temptation. That is the temptation to deny Jesus what they said they would, they would never do. And as you know, the story kind of plays out. Jesus comes back. These guys are sleeping. They comes back a couple times, and he's, they're sleeping. And finally, he just comes back. He says, look, time's now. And he's in that garden. He gets betrayed. He gets arrested. And what do the men do? They scatter. Like turning on a kitchen light in a dark room, and all those cockroaches just scatter. Anybody had that experience? Man, nobody in the first service either. See, I grew up in Houston, Texas, and um, we got a lot of cockroaches in, in Texas. And so when you walk into a room, if you have a roach problem, you flip on that light and they're all scurrying. That's what it was like. I'm sorry if that was too much information for you. In some countries, they'll delicacies. Huh? All right, so look, so they scatter, right? All these men who have said, not me, I'm not going to deny you. Peter, who said, even if they deny you, I'm going to follow you to death. Gone, right? So they're following. Now, now Peter's the one who kind of hangs on, right? We kind of think there's a little bit of hope for Peter because he's hanging around. He's warming himself around the fire. But what happens to Peter? This young girl says, you're one of them, aren't you? No, no, I'm not. So much so that Peter denies Jesus by bringing curses on himself. You might as well just kill me now if I was with him. Right? He denies it. Now, the women stayed. To come back to my point. The women were faithful, whereas the men were not. And the women are the ones who are being entrusted as the first people to carry the message that Jesus was raised from the dead. We ought to be careful about not, not lighting up the women in our church in regard to spiritual lives. God uses women 
God can use women just like he uses men. Now, what's true here is, in this culture, women were not respected in the same way. And so when these women were to go and tell of this message, they weren't initially believed. You can read that in Matthew and Luke. When they go and they tell these disciples, hey, Jesus' body's not there, he's been raised. The men didn't believe them, which is why they take off running to the tomb. But don't lose sight of who Jesus entrusted that message with first. Now, if you were one of those disciples that scattered, what would you be doing right now? If you were one of those disciples, if you were Peter, and, and you had denied Jesus in the moment where he most needed someone, what would you be doing right now? If I was in our boat, I'd probably be hiding. One, I'd, I'd probably be in bed depressed. Maybe I'd be kicking myself for doing what I did. You know, may, maybe I wouldn't want to even be seen because I was such a coward. You know, maybe there's, there's some fear associated with me being associated with Jesus, so maybe I'm going to keep a, a low profile because I don't want people to know that I'm associated with that guy they just crucified. But I'd be wrestling because I just denied someone I spent three years with, someone who loved me, cared for me, taught me, showed me things that I'd never seen before, and then in his moment of need, I left him. I probably would not be thinking about carrying on the mission. I probably would be thinking I'm done. I probably would be thinking that this is all that God can do with me now. But the message that the angel tells the woman is, go tell the disciples that he has gone to Galilee ahead of you. They've been forgiven. Jesus is not done with these guys yet. Jesus is still going to work with them, and he's going to go and meet them in Galilee where he's going to entrust them with some of the, the most important things that they're going to carry. Go tell the disciples, even Peter, the one who denied him the most, even Peter, tell him that Jesus is going ahead into Galilee. These men are being forgiven. These men are being restored. And they're going to be entrusted with carrying on the gospel and the mission. Now, Mark, that's really all Mark gives us. But if you were to go to John, at the end of John chapter 20 and 21, Jesus has this conversation with Peter. Where he sits down with Peter. They're eating breakfast over a fire. And, and, and Peter and Jesus go back and forth. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And feed my sheep. Second time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And tend my lambs. Third time, Peter, do you love me? And by this point, Peter is exasperated. Jesus, Lord, why are you asking me this? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. But can you imagine being Peter? You've denied him three times. And Jesus, the man you've denied, sitting right here, raised from the dead, just like he said he was going to do, eating breakfast with you. Peter, do you love me? Because you know your actions have said otherwise. And each time Jesus asks you, do you love you? Do you love me? He's thinking about the time he denied him. Second time Jesus asked him, do you love me? Maybe he's thinking about the second time he denied him. And yet he's face to face with Jesus. And Jesus is restoring him. And carry on. Sometimes we don't live out what we believe. Sometimes we don't carry out the message of the gospel because we fail in following Jesus. And in our failure we don't think that we can be used anymore. In our failure, we think we've gone too far to where Jesus can't use us. I mean, think about it. 
Like, think about a time you sinned, okay? Think about a time where you willingly chose to sin. Maybe you got an addiction and you, you gave into that addiction. Maybe you're doing well and then you caved, right? And, and in that moment that you sinned, did you find yourself thinking, well, I messed it up now, so I might as well just keep going down this road, right? Or, or I, I messed that up, so now I can't be used by God. God doesn't want anything to do with me now. And so what, what's our tendency? Our tendency is not to go move toward our Savior. Our tendency is to withdraw, and we hide. Our tendency is to go and run away. It is not our tendency in the midst of a, fail, a failure to press into our Savior. That's kind of like a, if you're on a diet, right? You've got all these foods that you're supposed to eat, and then this list of things that you're not supposed to eat. And so, you know, like you're doing well, right? But then you have a weak moment. Maybe you're tired or you're in a rush, and so you grab one of those ding-dongs, or, you know, you open up that bag of chips, and then you just go to town on them, and then you're feeling, like, disgusted, right? Or you're just disgusted with yourself, and you think, well, I blew it for the day, so what do you do? You grab the next bag of chips, and then you go for pork rinds and stuff, and then you're, like, just eating them all, right? You just blow it for the day, and you tell yourself, I'm going to start over tomorrow. Right? We do that. And we do that when we sin. And what we do is we give ourselves permission to just spiral. And maybe we'll start better tomorrow. Maybe you, you didn't do some of the things you thought you were supposed to. I didn't start my day with the quiet time. I didn't have any prayer. And so I can remember in my early college days at uh, Houston Baptist University where quiet times, man, if you didn't make your quiet time, you were probably not a Christian, right? And so I missed my quiet time. And I remember how I thought about it in those days. I missed my quiet time day's gone. Might as well just plan to start tomorrow differently. And I would give myself permission to sin. We do that. We let failure in following Jesus become a dead end. And we think, we're done. That's it. I no longer can live out. I can't get back on the road. I can't live out what I believe. I can't be used by God. Why would I share with my, my friend or my neighbor or my co-worker anything about Jesus when I'm struggling to even follow. We let failure keep us from following Jesus. But yet the angel says to the women, go tell the disciples. Yeah, yeah, those disciples, the ones who all scattered. And yes, Peter, the one who denied him three times. Yes, go tell them that Jesus is raised and he's going on to Galilee. You see, back in Mark 14, while he was having that last dinner, he told them, I'm going to die. And in three days, I'm going to raise from the dead, and I'm going to go ahead of you into Galilee. The angel's reminding them of what he said. And he's telling them, go. Don't let failure keep you from following Jesus. Now he goes on in verse 8. Then they went out, the women did, and they ran from the tomb. For terror and bewilderment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, as they were afraid. All right, so these, these ladies, they've been faithful up to this point, they've not denied Jesus. But even coming face to face with an angel, even even realizing that Jesus is raised from the dead, did not overcome fear. Now, this is not a good fear, right? This is not a reverential fear. I'm in, I'm in awe of God. I respectfully fear God. It's not that kind of fear. This is the type of fear that keeps you from living by faith. And Mark has brought this up quite a bit throughout his gospel as he's writing to his church in Rome who's experiencing persecution or likely soon to experience it. And so he's writing to Christians in the Roman church and he's trying to show them this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like to be a disciple. And, and as you suffer, this is what it looks like to suffer as a follower of Jesus. And so the type of fear that Mark is trying to highlight 
is that there's a fear that paralyzes us. And as he wrote through his gospel, he shows us, even those who are closest to Jesus, the disciples oftentimes operated in fear rather than faith. And if we operate in fear, it will keep us from following Jesus. So these ladies, they leave. And now they eventually did tell someone. Well, you can read Matthew and Luke and John, and, and you'll see that they did eventually tell someone. But Mark, Mark tells us it wasn't right away because they left in fear. Don't let a failure to follow Jesus be a dead end on the journey. You see, when we fail, when we sin, when we operate in fear rather than faith, our tendency is going to be to withdraw, not press in to the Savior. But the gospel tells us that when we sin, that's the first thing we should do is press into our Savior. Because when He died on the cross, He covered everything, past, present, and future, that we would do. He died for all the sins of those who would trust in Him so that God's wrath for sin has been satisfied. So that means God has no wrath, no judgment for sin that you and I commit. That's been taken care of so that we can press into Him. That does not give us permission to continue in sin. You know, just because God forgives us, I can go on sinning. No, instead, what it should do is motivate us. This is how God loves us. He knew that we would fail. He knew that even before he sent Christ, he was sending Christ to die for people who were unworthy. What does Paul say in Romans 5, 8? He says, this is how God demonstrates his love. It's while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. Jesus knew full well the type of people he was dying for, people who were unworthy. So why do we think after we place our trust in Christ, now we've got to all of a sudden be worthy? We're not. The only reason we are before God is because of what Christ has done for us in his death. And when he rose from the dead, that proves to us and shows us that he accomplished everything he said he was going to do. Everything that was necessary in his death, he's now accomplished because he rose from the dead. So the first thing that we should do when we fail, when we sin, is press into the Savior. Lord, I failed. Again. I sinned in this way. I've, I've put myself above you. I've messed up. Right? But we don't stay there. See, a lot of us as Christians, we like to stay there. And we feel defeated. And somehow that we think that motivates us, right? Because if I can feel a little bit of guilt, then I might feel a little better about the sin. Because I don't want to go and just accept grace that's free. I want, I want some penance to be paid. The beauty of the gospel is all of that penance has been paid by Christ. Guilt and shame has no place with us when we've placed our trust in Christ. That's all been taken when we come to Christ and we confess our sins to the Lord, we're not, we're not people who are supposed to be motivated by guilt. Instead, we go on and we thank the Lord. Thank you that Jesus took my place. Thank you that he took the judgment for me. And what we start to realize as we live that out is that the grace that God shows us is what should motivate us to live. Not guilt, not shame, which is what you and I are operating in when we hide. We think to ourselves, God's done with me. God can't use me. 
There's some of you this morning who you've trusted in Christ, but somewhere along the way, you gave in to sin, you made some choices, whatever the case may be, and there was a moment where you decided, God can't use me. He can't love me. I'm done. I'm still going to go to church. I'm still going to sit in the seats. But, you know, I'm inwardly thinking that this is pointless. And to you, I say this morning, God's not done with you, whoever you are. He can still use you. He's still working in you. And yes, even the things that have taken place in your life, yes, even the choices that you've made, God can take those things and redeem them and use them for His glory. You've not fallen so far that God's going to say to you, I'm done with you. Because when you are in Christ, you are secure. There's nothing you can do that will separate you from God's love because He shows it to us in Christ. God's not done with you. Don't let a failure to follow Jesus become your dead end. Get back on the journey. Keep going. Take take those baby steps that you need to take. Some of you this morning, maybe you've been uh, considering the claims of Jesus and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. You're not a Christian. Maybe you've never trusted in Christ. You're still kind of sitting back and you're assessing. You're you're evaluating. And so to this, I'm going to throw this out for you to add into your list of things. Isn't this the kind of God you'd want to follow? Isn't this the kind of Savior that you would want to know? The, 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 kind, the, the ones who, they don't condemn you when you sin. They don't, they don't hold this guilt over your head and expect you to, to do better next time because you should have known better. Instead, they took care of the penalty for you. They, they took all of the punishment that God would have for your sin so that it frees you up to live differently. The kind of God who doesn't want you to be motivated by rules and by by legalism or by guilt and shame, but instead the kind of God who says, I'm going to show you my love, and I'm going to pour my grace on you, and I want you to live because of that. Because isn't it free to live knowing that it's not based on your performance. It's based on something someone else has already done. And now you're just free to live changed because of that. Isn't that the type of God you'd rather serve? the type of God you want to follow. Don't let a failure in following Jesus become your dead end on the journey. So Father, thank you that because Christ did not stay dead, but rose from the dead, everything's changed. Thank you that uh, because Christ raised from the dead, uh, we now can live differently. We can live new life because you give it to us when we trust in Christ. Thank you that in Christ's death on the cross for us, he took care of all the judgment, all the penalty, and took all of your wrath, which should have been on us. And so, God, when we fail, which you knew we would do long before you ever sent Christ to die, rather than us pulling back, would you whisper to us, and maybe even yell at us if we need that, to to press into the Savior. Remind us that it's not what you want us to do to pull back, that you died so that we would press in. Because you know us. And we're known by you. That's the kind of love you've shown to us. So God, let us walk in it. Teach us how to walk in it. And change us because of that. Father, there's some here this morning who they're considering your son. They're intrigued. They're interested. They're not, they're not quite there yet uh, to trust him yet. But God, I pray that this morning you would open up their heart, open up their, their, their eyes to understand how great your love is and how you've displayed that and shown it to us in Christ. And that you took care of 
the sin. You don't want people to be motivated by guilt or shame. You died so that they could be motivated by your grace. Would you give them an understanding this morning of that like they've never had before? God, it changes the way we live. So let your Spirit show us those areas where we need to change, where we need to preach the gospel to ourselves, and then embolden us to live out what we believe and to proclaim that Jesus has risen from the dead and therefore everything has changed. And in Christ's name, amen. And with that, will you stand and I'll dismiss this. When Jesus raised from the dead, it changed everything. It changes even you when you trust in him. So go now and live as people who are made alive. And stop looking for the living among the dead. We do it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you guys next week.